Well, welcome. Here we are kicking off yet another sermon series, our second one of 2022. And we're going to be spending the next five weeks looking at a series called uh, Look to the Stars. And it's looking at the life of Abraham. When I go and spend time in prayer seeking the Lord as to what we should study throughout the year and map out kind of a preaching calendar for the year, one of the things that I take into consideration is that we make sure that we spend time in both the Old and the New Testament. We don't want to be people who simply spend all of our time in one or the other, but we want to continue to seek to study the whole canon of Scripture to see what the Lord has to lead us. And so we're going to be taking these next five weeks looking at the life of Abraham in Genesis, looking at how God worked in his life, how God used him, and what we can learn from Abraham as we move forward in our walk with the Lord. Before we jump in today, though, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word today. Lord, we thank you that your word continues to lead and guide us as you speak to us through it. Lord, we thank you for the gift that it is, and what a privilege it is that we can gather together around your word today. And here you speak to us. So Lord, I pray that nothing that I say would get in the way of what you wish to declare, but that it would be your words and not mine, and that you would be glorified here in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was thinking this week about the concept of calling. And maybe you're familiar with this idea of calling. It's one that if you've grown up in the church or spent a significant amount of time in the church, I'm sure that you've heard calling referenced. What's your calling What are you called to? These are phrases that you may hear at times. And when I looked up calling, it's defined as a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action with the divine influence often. It's a vocation or a profession as well. And calling is something that tons of money is spent on in our culture as people try to figure out what is their calling. Both people in the secular world as well as in the religious world will spend money and time trying to figure out what are you called to do. Often it's usually centered around a career. What is your calling or your purpose for work in this life? What is it that really ignites a passion within you? What is it that you can get excited about waking up each and every day to do? And so when you look online, if you go to a bookstore and look at the books, you will find many, many books and articles written about how to find your purpose, how to find your calling. Everybody from Oprah to scholars to Christian authors to people who have nothing really to say about it will tell you what it means to find a calling. I love what C.S. Lewis says when speaking about calling. He says, to follow our calling does not mean happiness. But once it has been heard, there is no happiness for those who do not follow. You see, for those of us who follow after Christ, I would suggest that there is a much deeper element of calling than simply the work that we do during the day. There is a calling first and foremost to be children of God. Men and women who are invited into God's presence, who are called to live our lives in obedience to God. And one of the early instances that we see of calling in Scripture gives us an insight into this element of obedience with calling. So let's turn together to look at the beginning of the life of Abraham and the call that God places upon his life. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be looking at the calling of Abraham this morning. 
So Genesis chapter 12. Now as we read this, you may say, I thought we were talking about Abraham, and the pastor keeps saying Abram. Well, Abram was the name that he first has, and later we'll see that God gives him a new name and calls him Abraham. But in Genesis 12, he's referred to exclusively as Abram. So it's the same person that this whole series will be about, yet a different name at times. So Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we're going to pause right there and unpack those first three verses a little bit before moving forward. Because there's a lot going on in this introduction to Genesis chapter 12. Our text starts with a word from the Lord here. God speaks to Abram. And notice that he gives him kind of three calls to obedience here. He tells him, go from your country, from your kindred, which is another word used here for relatives. When you look at the meaning behind the word kindred, it's the idea of the relatives that Abram has. And go from your father's house. So three ways in which God calls Abram to go. From your country, from your kindred, and your father's house. And these kind of go from easiest to hardest in a lot of ways. For most people, it wouldn't be nearly as hard to leave a place as it would be a people. And yet, God calls Abram to all three. He calls him to leave the place that he's at, to leave his relatives, and to leave his father's house. This would be hard, especially in this culture that's so familial based where you're working together, where there's a patriarchal system that is in play. To leave family is also a leaving of a comfort and a security that Abram would have had with his family. Anyone who's ever moved away from family or had family move away from you knows the difficulty that it can bring about. That security and that comfort that you lose when you're no longer near family. Especially if you get along really well with your family. If your family is a support system to you. If there are people who care well for you. And we haven't seen anything in Abram's life that would lead us to believe that he would have anything but a positive relationship with his family. And yet... God calls him to leave. God calls him to obey God's leading as he leaves his family. These three points of obedience for Abram that we see the Lord give him really lay the groundwork for what the Lord desires to bring about. We see in Genesis 12 these promises that God gives Abram. In fact, in the first three verses, we see four promises laid out for Abram. The first one is, to the land that I will show you. God tells Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. So God has a promise here that he will show Abram where it is that he is leading him. He doesn't give him all the details right away. There is a need for Abram to trust God's provision. To trust that when God calls him to go, that God will eventually provide the where. But he doesn't tell him right away. Even when he can't see the fulfillment of God's promise, Abram is still called to obedience by the Lord. But notice it's not on Abram to provide the place. 
It's not his job to figure out the place of where he is to go. His job is to be faithful to God's call. His job is to be faithful to God's leading. God doesn't say, I want to take you to a place and I want you to get a map and figure out where it is. God says to go and that he will provide a place. He will show him where it is. God is the one who leads. God is the one who guides. And Abram's job is simply to obey. The second promise that we see the Lord lay the groundwork for here is he says, I will make of you a great nation. The implications of this word from God will reach generations of Abram's descendants. You can't make a great nation out of just a couple people, but this is a promise of the Lord to multiply Abram's family, to multiply his family enough that he will become a great nation. What a beautiful promise that the Lord offers him. If Abram is obedient to the Lord, if he is willing to follow the Lord's guiding and instructions, that God's blessing will impact more than just Abram. That God's blessings will go down the line in Abram's descendants simply if Abram is willing to obey and follow the Lord's leading. That's a beautiful offer that the Lord gives Abram here in Genesis 12. He continues and says, I will bless you and make your name great. This is something that shouldn't really be a pursuit of ours to have our name be great. Often it would be associated with an arrogance if our desire in life was simply that our name would be great. And yet for many people, this is what they strive after. They strive after being known, at people knowing who they are. That's what people's obsession is about being famous. Go on YouTube and you can find countless people who are spending their lives filming videos all about their life, hoping that they'll become famous, that people will know who they are, that their name will be great. In fact, there was a movie a handful of years back called Troy, all about Achilles and the fights between the Trojans and Greece. And in the movie, Achilles is asked to go and to fight. And he's called to go and fight the Trojans, not because he wants the cause of the Greeks, but because they know he wants his name to be great. In fact, there's a scene in the movie where he's talking with his mother and He's asking her whether he should go and fight. And she tells him that if he goes, his name will be made great. That this battle is a battle that will be remembered throughout all the ages between Greece and the Trojans. And if he goes and he fights, he will be remembered throughout the ages. But that it will certainly lead to his death. And if he stays, she tells him, you'll find a nice woman, you'll get married, you'll settle down, you'll have a good life but no one will remember the name of Achilles. So he chooses to go and to fight because he wants his name to be made great. It's not because of the cause that he wants to get behind, but it's simply because he wants to have a name that is remembered. Rather than trying to make his own name great, though, here, Abram can trust in God being glorified in his obedience. And the result of that obedience is that God is promising that he will make his name great. Notice the reason for God making Abram's name great. He says, so that you will be a blessing. You see, it's not about him. It's not about puffing up Abram. It's not about making Abram so amazing. But it's so that you will be a blessing. God wants to make Abram great. 
in order that others will be blessed through him. Our lives are to be lived to glorify God. And in our obedience, we have the opportunity to then bless others. Abram's obedience will impact the lives of countless men and women because he is willing to be obedient to God. Victor Hamilton, in his commentary on Genesis, points out the contrast here in Genesis between chapter 11, where we watch the Tower of Babel incident and what just previously happened to Abram's call that we're looking at in Genesis 12. He states, not only will Abram's loins be fertile, but his name will be famous. This is doubtless another deliberate contrast with the Tower of Babel incident. This is uh, one of the aspirations of those builders was to make a name for ourselves. As we saw, they did get an ironic name for their city, Babel. The builder's aggressiveness is matched by Abram's passiveness. If his name is ever to become great, it will not be because of any self-initiated effort. The great name will be a gift, not an achievement. You see, if you're not familiar with the Tower of Babel, as the people gathered together, they sought to build a tower that would reach to the heavens because they wanted to be great. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be remembered. They wanted to be God. And so God sent down a mixture of languages and scattered the people because of their desire. So we have in Genesis 11 the people seeking to make a great name for themselves. And then in Genesis 12, we have God seeking to make a great name for Abram. And I love the end of that quote that says that the great name will be a gift, not an achievement. You see, God wants to give Abram a gift. He wants to bless Abram if Abram is willing to be obedient to the Lord. The text tells us that God says, I will bless those who bless you. God continues to show the blessings that he will give to Abram and the ripple effects that this will have. Those who bless Abram will also find themselves blessed. And the opposite is also true. When we see God say that those who dishonor you, I will curse. You see, God cares deeply for his people. He cares deeply for Abram. He's desiring to build something great out of the life of a faithful servant. And for those who are willing to come alongside, who are willing to journey alongside and to bless Abram, they will themselves find blessings. Because to be on Abram's side, to journey with him, will mean that you are walking with the Lord as well. And yet to curse Abram, to go against him, to dishonor him, would mean that you're in opposition to the Lord. See, to be on God's side brings about blessings. And these blessings which God offers to Abram will ultimately result in all the families of the earth being blessed. What a promise that God offers him here. What an amazing thing to tell Abram that if you follow me, if you are obedient to me, if you're willing to leave your household, your family, your relatives, the home that you've known, if you're willing to leave all that and to follow me in obedience, then through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. What an amazing promise that God lays out here. You see, the blessings that God offers to Abram, he doesn't know yet, but will culminate in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of blessings to the entire world who comes through the legacy of Abram and through his line. 
What an amazing thing that the Lord is already at work in this story. As he's raising up a people group, as he's raising up the nation of Israel, his people, who ultimately will fall short time and time and time again as they seek to follow God's law. And yet God knows that if Abraham's willing to be obedient to him, that's through that line, through Abram and his descendants, that God will bring about the one who can redeem humanity, the one whom we can find the forgiveness for sins in alone. What a beautiful thing that every family of the world will be blessed through Abram's obedience because of Jesus Christ. Well, in verse 4, we see the result of this calling upon Abram as he obeys. It says in verse 4, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So here in verse 4, we see Abram practice obedience. God has laid out a calling for his life. God has given him this potential of blessing. It's up to Abram if he's going to respond to God's calling, and he does. He responds with obedience. And really, this is always the question for us, right? God calls. God gives us opportunity in life. God prompts you in certain ways or instructs or guides you to certain areas. And then the question is, are you going to obey? Are you going to follow God's leading and obey what he asks of you? When God opens up the door and gives you opportunity to faithfully walk in his path, are you going to obey? Even when you don't know where he's leading, even when you don't know where it is that he will take you. The question isn't for you to figure out where you are to go. The question is to figure out if you are going to obey. Obedience is so important in our Christian walk. It's so important because it's a reminder of who is in charge. It's a reminder to each one of us that we are not God. That when we obey, we place ourselves below the Lord, below his will. We remind ourselves that he is God and that we are not. And we can find comfort in his leading. We can find joy in obedience to God because he knows what it is that we need. He knows where it is he wants to take us. He knows where that promised land is, even when we don't. And so when we are obedient to him, we can find joy in that obedience. This obedience that Abram practices has a generational impact. In fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 12. So Hebrews, we're going now jumping to the New Testament. Thousands of years later, Jesus has come. Jesus has been crucified. He is risen from the dead. And as the church begins to take off, as the gospel message spreads, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8, this is what it says. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abram does a fabulous job of following the Lord. We see that he goes just as God commands him. 
He's willing to follow and to be obedient to God's leading. And the result is a generational impact, an impact upon the world that's still being talked about in Hebrews when the church is spreading as Jesus has come and as, he, as we've seen the fulfillment of that promise in Christ. And Abraham still is being talked about today as we seek to be obedient to the Lord. But there's one little hitch in Abraham's plans. As God calls him, part of what God calls him to do is to leave his, descend, his family, to leave his kindred, his relatives, and to leave the place that is home. And yet we see that in verse 4, it tells us that Lot goes with him. And when I've heard this before, I'd never really noticed that or paid much attention. I just kind of thought, yeah, Lot goes with Abraham, Abram, and Sarai. And yet, that's not completely leaving his kindred if part of his kindred goes with him. And we don't know why Lot chooses to go with Abram. We don't know if Abram invited him or if Lot just thought, yeah, I want to get out of here too. I'm going to go with you as well. But Lot is Abram's brother's son. And God calls Abram to leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house. And yet Lot, part of his family, comes with him. Maybe this doesn't matter that much. Maybe it does matter. One of the things that I saw when I was reading through this text in the chapters to come and reading commentators on this is that we see in Genesis 13, in the next chapter, that it's not until Lot separates from Abram that we see God begin to put into play Abram's lineage. In fact, in Genesis 13, when they finally go a separate way, Genesis 13, 14, this is what happens. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So God, once again after Abram and Lot separates, reiterates this promise to Abram that he's going to make his descendants great. So now Abram, in chapter 13, truly finds himself separated from all of his kindred, alone following after God, seeking to be obedient. I do want to take a moment to point out to you, if you didn't notice at the end of verse 4, that the text tells us that Abram was 75 years old when he departs. 75 years old. Hebrews describes him as good as dead when God starts to work through his lineage. So let it be a reminder to each one of us that God is not done with you no matter what your age is. That it doesn't matter if you are 30 or if you are 70 or if you are 90. If God calls you to do something, you want to walk in obedience to him and he can use you. No matter what season of life you're in, no matter what stage of life you are in, it's not your age that matters to God, but it is your obedience to him and to his leading of your life. Our text picks up again, Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. It says, And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. 
So verse 5, it may just seem like it's just reporting information to us, but it gives us an important insight into the makeup of Abram's family and why God's blessing he offers Abram is so great. Because if you look at who goes when he leaves, it's Abram, it's Abram, Sarai, and Lot. That's it. No kids. It doesn't say that Abram already had kids who went with him. And yet God has said that he wants to make Abram a great nation. Yet here he is, 75 years old, with no children. It's not that they don't have servants and livestock and possessions, but great nations, lineages aren't built upon livestock. Lineages are built upon offspring, which at this time Abram has none of. And yet God has promised him. And so Abram's job is to obey and to trust God. And that's what we see him do as Abram chooses obedience rather than doubt. I love how Matthew Henry puts it in his commentary on this section where he states, Abram believed that the blessing of the Almighty would make up for all he could lose or leave behind, supply all his wants and answer and exceed all his desires. And he knew that nothing but misery would follow disobedience. You see, Abram knew once he's been called by the Lord, once he's experienced God instructing him and guiding him, that there was nothing else for him. That obedience to the Lord was the only path he wanted to walk. And so he set out for the land of Canaan. God must have led Abram in this direction after calling him out of Haran. And while this is where God leads Abram, this won't be when they fully conquer the Canaanites. We'll see this happen after the Exodus as God leads his people, Abram's descendants, back to Canaan and drives out the Canaanites. Verse 7 continues, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. The Lord once again appears to Abram confirming that he's on the right path as he walks in obedience to the Lord, confirming that this land will be given to Abram's offspring. God's promise of offspring that he has laid out for Abram, this promise of a provision of land that he is giving him, of establishing a generational impact through Abram's obedience. And Abram's response is beautiful. His response is to build an altar to the Lord, to worship the Lord there in that moment, to recognize that God is to be given praise for the promises that he has given to Abram. As his journey continues, as he seeks where it is the Lord is leading him and seeking to establish him, we see him travel continually as he goes to the hill countries east of Bethel, and there he builds another altar, another opportunity for Abram to worship God to put in place who it is who is leading and who Abram is as he responds in obedience. And he eventually journeys on going towards the Negeb. Abram's dependence upon the Lord's guidance and upon worshiping him is foundational to who it is Abram is. Perhaps this is why God chose to build a legacy through Abram. His faithful obedience to the Lord is an example for all of us 
It's a reminder of who God is and who we are to be as we seek to be obedient and worship the Lord. God has called Abram, called him to something far greater than he could ever imagine, something that will only be possible through God. And the calling of Abram sets the stage for a story of a nation being raised up, a nation of God's chosen people, through whom will come the one, Jesus Christ, who will redeem humanity. Abram has no idea the way in which his obedience to God will impact the lives of the world. And yet God uses his faithful obedience in tremendous ways. So how can we, as followers of Christ, seek to be attentive to God's calling in our own life as we seek to live out obedience to God? I believe that first and foremost, we must practice waiting. We must wait upon the promises of the Lord. Just like Abram had to wait to see the fulfillment of God's promises, as God told him he wanted to bless him and make him a great nation, and yet Abram didn't have any offspring. Abram doesn't question that promise of the Lord, but he waits. Sometimes God will lay out a promise for us that seems so far from where we currently are. And yet our job is not to question the promise, but is to wait upon the promise, to keep faith in God and to keep faith in his truth to his word and to trust his timing. I love how Ben Patterson describes this waiting in his book called Waiting, Finding Hope When God Seems Silent. He says, it isn't easy to wait. It demands persistence when common sense says give up. It says believe when there is no present evidence to back it up. Faith is forged in delay. Character is forged in delay. The forge is the gap between the promise and the fulfillment. As gold is purified and shaped in the white-hot heat of a forge, so we and our faith are purified and shaped in the waiting. You see, there's something important that happens in the waiting upon the Lord. There's an important faith building that occurs as we wait. And if we try to push through that, we will miss a work that God is seeking to do in our lives through that time of waiting. The Lord often will give us direction or a word, and we want results right away. We don't want to wait. We want things to happen on our timetable rather than trusting in God's timing. But remember that you are not God, that you are not the one who is in charge of time, that God is God, and your calling first and foremost is as a child of God, meant to glorify him in all that you do. So glorify God in the waiting as you wait upon his promises, as you wait upon the fulfillment of what he has told you he is doing. Seek to glorify God in the waiting. The second thing is to recognize the importance of obedience. Obedience to God is foundational to God's blessings. When we obey God, we allow him to use our lives how he desires. Abram could have complained and said to the Lord that he didn't want to leave his family, that he wanted to be used by God, but only if it was in this one location, only if God would allow him to stay with his relatives and his kindred. And yet I believe that Abram would have missed out on the blessings that awaited him in God's calling. You see, obedience is trusting that God's way is the best way. Even when we can't see what's going to happen, even when we're in the midst of a difficult trial, to trust that God's way is far better 
than anything that we could put together. Sometimes God takes our greatest failures or our greatest struggles and turns them into our greatest successes because he is working through them. Perhaps you've heard the story of Charles Chuck Colson, who had risen the ladder of national political success at a breakneck speed. After a tour in the Marines, Colson had served in the office of the Assistant Secretary of the Navy. He had ran a political campaign and joined a law firm before becoming special counsel to President Nixon in 1969 at the ripe old age of 38. And then it all came crashing down. Colson was sent to prison for his involvement in the Watergate scandal. As one former pastor put it, Colson's former career was over, but his calling was just beginning. While in prison, Colson converted to Christianity and began working alongside his fellow prisoners. His passion for his faith and his fellow prisoners birthed prison fellowship. Seeing firsthand the injustices in the American prison system, Colson fought for the rights of the incarcerated, including widespread penal justice reform. But that isn't all that he did. Prison Fellowship has created a number of programs to help inmates, including training to experience healing and wholeness, with the intention of lowering the rate of those returning to prison. And today, Prison Fellowship serves in all 50 states in the U.S., impacting more than 1,000 prisons and over 365,000 incarcerated men and women each year. In his 1983 book, Loving God, Colson shares the realization that his legacy came not from his successes, but from his failures. He said, quote, The real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one experience in which I could not glory for his glory. You see, practicing obedience in our life to the Lord means that you never know how God may choose to use you. You never know how God may take a failure in your life and when you are obedient, even in the midst of failure, and turn it into his great success. Chuck Colson has been used to impact thousands of lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ because he was used by God through his obedience, even in the midst of his failure. And you may wonder, how can you practice obedience? Well, I believe that we practice obedience by seeking to be a tool for the Lord, a tool that can be used by God, that can be used however he deems necessary to lead and to guide. I was reading a story this week about how Braille came about. And maybe you've never heard it before, but it was really interesting. You see, there was an old shoemaker whose all is on prominent display in the French Academy of Science because this was the all, his tool, that fell from the shoemaker's table one day and put out the eye of his nine-year-old son. Soon after that accident, the child became blind in both eyes and had to attend a school for the blind. At the school, the child learned to read by handling large carved wooden blocks. And when the shoemaker's son grew up, he thought of a new way for the blind to read. It involved punching tiny dots onto paper. And so Louis Braille devised this new method using the same awl that had blinded him in his youth. When Patricia Sprinkle told the story in Guidepost, she suggested that there would be a falling all in each one of our lives. She added, when it strikes us, some of us will ask, why did God allow this to happen? 
And others will ask, how will God use it? You see, the beauty of this story is that Louis took the very tool that blinded him and turned it into something great. I believe that when you and I are willing to be used as a tool for the Lord, that he can take anything in our lives and use it to bring glory to his name. This becomes the vision that we live our lives through, a kingdom mindset, a kingdom vision for something greater than ourselves. Abram was used by God through his obedience to bless the entire world. The obedience of Abram led to the blessing of Jesus Christ, the one and only one who could save the world. The calling of Abraham, of Abram, should remind us that each one of us needs Jesus in our lives, that we need his saving grace, that we need his direction and guidance leading us, that without him, we are nothing. That without him, we are stuck in our sin. So as you seek to practice obedience to the Lord, as you seek to live out your calling as a child of God by living in obedience to Jesus Christ, the result, the blessings of God will abound in your life. The blessings of your sins forgiven, the blessings of walking near to the Lord, and the blessings of eternity with your Lord and Savior. If you will only be faithfully obedient to the calling of God upon your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your leading and guiding in our lives. Thank you that you alone know what is next for each one of us. And so, Lord, as we seek the call that you have placed upon each one of us, may you give us the courage to walk that path even when we don't know where it will lead, even when we don't know what is in store, but to trust in your goodness, to trust that you are God and that your plan is far greater than anything that we could come up with. And so, Lord, like Abram walking in obedience, may we walk in obedience to you with our lives. We give you all praise in Jesus' name.